0: look at the family tonight before we actually uh, jump into the passages of the scripture let me ask you a question and you can talk back to me a little bit um, what do you think is the most important thing that parents can do for their children what do you think the most important thing that parents can do for the children we have a pray for them as a possibility and I'm not I'm not arguing with any of these that's a very good one pray for them I, I'm going to give you more than just one of them anyway Point them to God. Bruce. Be a godly example. Miss Angie. Teach them what? It is a relationship. Teach them it is a relationship with God. Not just knowledge about him, but a relationship with him. Anybody else? Have them memorize the word of God, which is quick and powerful sharpening the two-edged sword, never returns void. Anybody else? There's a lot, and I understand that. There's not just one, and there's not just one right answer. There's no place that I can find in the Bible that says, the most important thing parents can do for their children is. All right? Uh, But what we're going to look at is the family. We're going to begin in in Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, jump into the study together. Father, we ask that you would help us as we tonight lay this groundwork uh, for a study, that you would help us to uh, be willing to... Reflect upon how you would have us react to your word, uh, that you would be willing, that we would be willing to uh, put our families uh, as a priority, uh, that we would, from wherever we are, uh, be willing to allow you to work th- in our homes and through us in a very unusual way. I ask God that you would prepare every uh, the heart of every parent, of every grandparent, of every aunt and uncle, and of every child and young person that is in the home that we pray that you would just even now prepare our hearts as we uh, study your truths together we be willing to submit our lives to you to do things your way and to see the outcome that you would have and father we'll thank and praise you for all that you do in jesus name we pray amen in genesis chapter 2 verse 23 and 24 uh, it's just simply that place where god establishes the home this is a really important aspect to understand this that god established the home. This is not something man made up. God established marriage. God established the concept of marriages bringing about children and that family unit would work together in a very unique way. And so here we are in Genesis chapter 2 verse 23 and 24 it says, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall she, shall a man leave his father, and his mother, which is kind of an interesting statement, by the way. Why? Well, that's true. That is an interesting statement. The man is the one that leaves, by the way. I would challenge you guys that we have a harder time leaving our mommies than than uh, she has leaving hers. That is our problem. But that's really not why I think it's an interesting statement. Right. There aren't any parents yet. I mean, you understand? I mean you know here's adam's first response is therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother uh hello you know i mean he was just created and yet he already had this understanding uh very clearly and cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh uh so you know god establishes the home why is it important for us to recognize that the home is god's creation can you think about that Well, I'll tell you because it'll add meaning to this phrase that you've heard multiple times. Therefore, what God hath joined together, let not man, because it's God's creation, put asunder. Would you agree that that all of a sudden makes marriage much more important? God established marriage and the home. By the way, having said that, that means that God has the authority To determine what marriage looks like. And in the scripture. I'm not trying to create uh, any animosity here. But here's what it is in the scripture. One man. One woman. Till death do us part. That's what it looks like in the scripture. God establishes marriage. And God establishes the rules of marriage. Now I'm sitting here talking to a group of people who I happen to know. There are many of you sitting here whose past does not reflect a one man one woman for till death do us part situation. I'm already aware of that, and I'm not here to beat you up for your past. Neither is the Lord, by the way. It is the Lord who said, Forgetting those things that are behind, reaching forth unto those things that are before, I press toward the mark. We go from where we are to living for the Lord. But I want every married person in here, by the time we get to the end of our study, to come to this Decision, it is till death do us part. And that's what we're going to, you know, we're going to come to that decision, not because we think it makes sense, but because that is what God established. He established marriage, and he is the one who sets the groundwork for how marriage and family works. So because God established marriage, then he has the authority to tell us, would you agree what our families ought to look like? And that's what we're going to be looking at together in this study is looking at the principles that God has laid down for us about marriage, about raising our children, about how children respond to their moms and dads, about how we're supposed to deal with our aging parents, and how we're supposed to deal with even aunts and uncles, and etc. We're going to uh, let God tell us how this unit is supposed to work together. He is the one who established it. And so... Let's just deal with that first. Then what we're getting into tonight is kind of laying some groundwork for what are some of the most important things that moms and dads can do for their kids. I'm going to start someplace where perhaps you might not have gone first, but I believe that it lays the groundwork throughout the scripture for, uh, and in in the lives of our families, for uh, success in our marriages, success in the rearing of our children and the raising up of our grandchildren. I believe that one of the most important things that moms and dads can provide for their kids is security. And we're going to work through this uh, tonight as an introduction to this topic of the family. Security shows itself up in different ways. I, I, don't, I can't prove this. I'm just telling you I read this, and, and it makes sense to me. All right? I don't know that anybody could ever prove it because it would be cruel to go about proving it. But I think that you can understand the psychology behind it, if you let me use psychology for just a moment. Um, If you took a little kid and you dropped them by helicopter, not just dropped them, but dropped them off in the middle of the plains of Kansas or someplace out there that has plains, you understand? Where there's just nothing to see for miles and you flew away. Now. We might think that that kid would think, wow, this is fantastic. I, I can do anything that I want. But you know what that kid would more likely do? Curl up in a little ball and suck their thumb and beg for someone to come and get them. Because what's lacking is any structure, any sense of security that does not give them security. We sometimes think that what our kids need is freedom. No, they don't. They need some security, and that security is going to come in a different package. And when we give them security, we're teaching them something about the God who created them, the God who created the home, our marriage, etc. So I want to work on how we can biblically give our children security. How we can pass on to our children this concept that God is the God of heaven. And that if we follow his direction, things work. And how we can go about doing that. So, um, if you'll, uh, well, I'm just going to give these to you real quickly. In Proverbs chapter 31, I'll read it for you. Verse 27, it's talking about, what is Proverbs 31? Who's it talking about? The wife, the godly woman. Listen to what it says, guys. This is important. This is important, guys. Listen to what it says about this godly woman. She looketh well to the ways of her household. Mom is not just a person in the home. She's a partner with the husband. And she is part of, when we get to that New Testament passage where it says this, this pastor, this deacon, those who are living for the Lord as they ought, ought to be one that rules their household well. Right? Right? And us guys like that, yes, I'm in charge. But uh, you get over there, Proverbs 31, and look what happens. This woman looketh well to the ways of her household. She is involved in what is going on in the home. This is a team effort. Therefore, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and the two shall become what? Hello. They become one. They become one. And It is a team effort. I am well aware of how authority works. I'm well aware that God is going to hold us men accountable. I know that. And that is to the protection of the ladies. And so God is going to hold us accountable. No question about that in the scripture. But there's also no question about the fact that we become one in marriage. And this oneness if you and I as as husband and wife will exemplify that to our children. That will give a sense of security to our children that we can never give them in any other way God wants us to not only then have that oneness but both times he says she looks well to her household he rules the household well there needs to be some order God does all things decently and in order right and that structure adds to the security of our children when our children are insecure when our children don't know for sure what's going to happen the next moment, when our children are, are concerned about um, uh, just everyday life, then that insecurity, listen to this. Let me, let me give this to you from the scripture. God hath not given us the spirit of fear. And when we, when we fail to give our children structure, and security, then we're instilling into our children a spirit that is not from God. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when we give them less than that, what we do is we instill the spirit of fear. We, we're showing them a picture of, of God as if God somehow cannot make two into one, as if God is not powerful enough to add structure to our lives. This is why, by the way, uh, you, know, you wanna make that kid out there in the middle of the uh, open plains, you wanna make him feel more secure? Build a fence. Give him some boundaries. Give that kid some boundaries and let him know that, hey, there's someone who cares enough to put a hedge of protection around me. And all of a sudden, that child who was once in the fetal position, begging for help, is getting up and playing in the yard. Because there's security there. And one of the best things we can do for our kids is to instill security, and the way we're gonna do that, moms and dads, and grandmas and grandpas, is to let God work in us. Now listen, does this still work if you're a single mom? Yes, it does. I'll grant you that you might have different challenges in showing to your children that God is a God of order and that God is in control and that God hasn't just deserted them out in the middle of nowhere it might be a little more difficult for you but your job is still to instill security into your children and your grandchildren to give them security by showing them a sense of unity that togetherness by showing them some structure in your home some consistency, now this is all leading us to that Second Chronicles, which is where we're gonna, to come to, all right? Some consistency. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to get psychological here. I'm really not, I don't, I, you know, psychology uh, is not the answer. It's man's answers to, to God's problem here and to the problem we have with God. And God wants us to follow his answer. And I'm not, a, you know, that's another story. But I want us to think this through Our inconsistency, whether it's in disciplining our children, I've been teaching for 30 plus years, I taught sixth grade for for three years, full time, Uh, I am well aware of what structure does to a classroom, and I'm well aware of what chaos does to a classroom. I've seen both. I've had the opportunity of having both in my own classroom. You know, structure is always better. It always helps. It makes the kids feel secure in where they are, what they're supposed to do, they know the direction they know what's expected of them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All of those things really help. And when you and I are inconsistent, then we're breeding chaos. And if it is true that God is not the author of confusion, then we have to be careful, moms and dads not to bring confusion into our homes. It's confusing to kids for us to say one thing and do another. Would you agree? That's inconsistent. And that inconsistency is going to create a confusion that is not from God. It's not from God because he is not the author of confusion. So we've got to to figure out how to become more consistent in our lives. And that consistency needs to be in our spiritual walk. It needs to be in our disciplining with them. It needs to be in our relationship to one another as husband and wife. It needs to be in how we treat our children. It needs to be in how we uh, drive our car. I mean, it needs to be in every aspect of our life that we are portraying to them what we're saying to them. It's consistency. Now I am, hey, I've got two grown children and you've watched me raise them. I've been here for 25 years. They've never been to any other church except for when they were at college. This is it. You understand? You've watched them grow up. You know that there have been inconsistencies in my life with them. That's not a surprise to you. You've watched it. And, and I'm not trying to say that I'm like the perfect one of this. I am saying that what we have to do as moms and dads is be looking for the inconsistencies and recognizing that those inconsistencies create confusion. And that's withdrawing the security that God has for them. Do you believe that security is a biblical thing? Does God want us to be secure? You know, the Bible literally says, that unto him that is able to keep us from falling. Right? The Bible, you know, we read this morning in Psalm 27, you know, how the, God wants us to... to Trust him and not to fear, though an host should encamp against us. That we can be confident because he is consistent. And we, moms and dads, are a reflection to our children of him. And when we're inconsistent, it confuses them about him. And that security begins to shake. They begin to wonder, can we really trust God? Can we really? Now, you know, Again, don't beat yourself up for the mistakes. You can't go backwards, but you can move forward from this point. You can move forward. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, do what? Love your wife. I'm going to take a drink for just a moment if you don't mind. Excuse me. So, battling that voice a little bit. <clears throat> Husbands, love your wives. Now, I say this and people get a little panicky, but it's true. You know, there's no place in the Bible that I can find where God commands a woman to love her husband. Now, the Bible does say that older women, Titus chapter 1, chapter 2, older women should teach younger women how to love their husbands. But I can't find the command. But God has to actually spell it out for us guys. And I think it's, there's a reason for that, guys. Uh, we have this tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. To think that we're the most important one in the room. And God has to say, guys, hello, wake up. Love your wives. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And I've heard it said, I think this is probably true, one of the greatest gifts you can give your children is to love your spouse. Right? It really is true. If, think about this. Dads. What is another title for you? A nice biblical title for you, Dad. Say it out loud. Father. I'm afraid to say it out loud. Father. And we call God our Father. And so what is the picture that our children have of God? The initial picture that our children have of the Heavenly Father. It's us. And so, dads, when we fail to love our wives, even as Christ loved the church, can you see what happens to this picture in the eyes of our children? And so, whereas if we can give them the confidence, that security that dad and mom are there, then that confidence goes to the Heavenly Father as well. But when the confidence in dad and mom sh- is shaky, then the confidence in the Heavenly Father can become shaky. And it's a dangerous place for our kids to be. God wants us to have strong homes. He established the home. And he tells us how to do that. Here's how you do it. Rule the house well. Here's how you do it. Husbands, love your wives. Here's how you do it. Wives, love your husbands the right way. Because it's very easy for women. Well, it's just as easy for men to quit. To forget, oh yeah, that's right, I'm supposed to love her. I know that sounds silly, but we, we tend to think of ourselves more highly. It's just as easy for the woman to forget how to love her husband. Because what he does not need is another mother. He does not need you to pick up after him for every little thing that he does. He does not need for you. Now, he, he may let you, but that's not what he needs from you. You understand? That's not what he needs from you. He does not need another mother to nag him about getting his chores done. He does not need that from you. He may let you do it, but that's not how you do it. And so just like we have this problem over here f- remembering that this is our job, love you. You have this problem over here, this forgetting how to come alongside and be a helpmeet rather than be another mother We don't need another mother. All of us have one. All of us. Whether she's living or not, my mom's in heaven. But all of us have a mother. We don't need another mother. But we do need to help me. So God establishes this home. And then I want to focus on this last thing as we get this introduction. This is all introduction tonight. Because this last thing is going to show us a good picture of it as we look in 2 Chronicles. This consistency has to play itself out in our Christian walk. And I'll show you how it affects our children. 2 Chronicles chapter 33. I'll let you get a chance to turn over chapter 33. We're looking at a king. In 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. So... Here's this guy, Manasseh, 12 years old, begins to reign as king, right? Take a look down, if you would, please, verse, you can read all the way through this, but we'll just kind of skip so that we can get it done tonight. Go down to verse 9. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err, and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake unto Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the hosts of the king of Syria which took Manasseh among among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. So here's, Manasseh is making a mess, making a mess of Judah and the children of Israel. He's making a mess of it. He's causing them, he's leading them into error, even worse than the heathen nations around them. Now look what else happens. When he was in affliction, he besought the Lord, his God. And humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. and Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Wow, Manasseh got revival. That's fantastic. It really is. And it is a wonderful picture of the grace of God. Here's the problem. Go on to the next verse. Verse 15, he took away the strange gods, the idols out of the house of the Lord and the altars that he had built on the Mount of the Lord and Jerusalem and cast them out of the city. He is bringing revival. He repaired the altar of the Lord, afflicted them uh, thereon with peace. Uh, I'm sorry, and uh, the altar of the Lord and sacrificed thereon with peace offerings and thank offerings and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Then we get to verse 20. So Manasseh slept, he died with his fathers. They buried him in his own house and Amon, his son, reigned in his stead. Amon was 22 and 20 years old when he began to reign and reigned for two years in Jerusalem. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And look at the next phrase. This is what inconsistency does to our children. As did Manasseh, his father. Now Manasseh, wait a minute, Pastor, he did good things, he did. But this inconsistent testimony of doing that which is evil inside of God, doing that which is good inside, and not being consistent, not following through, it is difficult for our children to filter through our inconsistencies, Dad. It is. What God needs from us and what our children need from us is some consistency in our spiritual walk hot and cold up and down back and forth in church out of church reading my bible not reading my bible complaining about my wife loving my wife this isn't going to work in the end the greatest influence of Amon were the evil years and not the good ones did he see both of them yes he did he did I am not discounting the grace of God that the girl is saying about so beautifully. And it is only by the grace of God and he does wonderful things in our lives. And praise God, he does wonderful things in the lives of our kids in spite of us. And my kids are living proof. You know, I've got two pretty good kids. But what makes them good is not because they're good kids. But they have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And God is working in their lives. And I know they're not perfect kids. But they're growing in the Lord. And that's going to work. And in spite of the fact that dad was inconsistent, God worked, that's the grace of God. But know this dad, when we consistently choose evil and they see that, that evil is gonna have an impact on the next generation. Actually, the Bible says to the third and to the fourth generation. It's not like God is, cu- is cursing those people. You know, it's actually written in the law, I should have written this down, in the law of Moses, That it's not legal to punish the children for the sins of the Father. That's not what God is saying. He's not punishing the children for the sins of the Father. What he is saying, though, is when he says he visits the sins of the Father upon the children and to the children's children and children. What he's saying is that sin has an impact that lasts for generations. And that's why it's important for us to be consistent. That's why it's important for us as parents to step up to the plate and to live the life God has called us to live. Because that inconsistency produces amons. And we've seen it. We've seen it played out, perhaps in our own homes, in other people's homes. And I know that our children have their own will. Uh, Please hear me out. I don't care what you say. Perfect parents do not produce perfect children. Because Our children are sinners. And but for the grace of God, you know, they fail. They have to have the grace of God at work in their lives. And that is a choice that they make. I'm aware of that. So I know that you can be an Adam and Eve and you can raise an Abel and you can raise a Cain. I know that. I'm aware of how it works. But I can tell you this if you're a Manasseh, you have a really good chance of raising an Ammon. Right? That's the point. That inconsistency in our testimony is going to hurt our children. And so as we, as we look to some of the important things that we can do for our kids, one of them is to, to give them that sense of security in our home that mom and dad are there till death do us part. I remember um, I was in sixth grade, fifth grade, riding a bus, Mr. Covey's a bus driver. Isn't it weird how you remember some things? Clearly, you know, but anyway, Daryl, a friend of mine, his mom and dad were getting a divorce. And I can remember saying to him, I mean, I, I bragged to him. My mom and dad have been married for 25 years. That will never happen to my mom and dad. Little did I know in less than a year, my mom would leave my dad, and marry my dad's brother I didn't know. I didn't realize what was going on behind the scenes. And all of a sudden, all of the sense of security that I had as that fifth grader who was certain that my, my life was on a rock, the rock shattered out from under me. And God was gracious anyway. That's because God is gracious. But that's not what God wanted from my mom and dad. It's not what God wants from us as parents. What God wants from us is to show them that they have a Heavenly Father that they can rely on. And it's that consistency. Are we going to be consistent in the way we're approaching our children, the way we're approaching our problems, the way we're approaching our finances, the way we're approaching our church attendance, the way we're approaching our Bibles? Are we being consistent? Because the God we have is a God who never changes. Right? And we ought to mirror that. We have to reflect that. So this is where we're heading. We're going to do a study on the home. And you say, well, I, I don't have kids at home anymore. Well, guess what? Where do you think your pastor is in his life? You know, my son is engaged to be married now, getting married next summer. My daughter's in college, senior in college. I mean, I'm well aware of what it is to have all my children grown. Does that mean we don't have a part anymore? Guess what? If it is true that what I do today affects the next four generations of my family, then I want to be the right kind of impact on my children's children and their children and their children. I want to learn how to be consistent as a grandparent. I want to learn how to be consistent as a pastor. How to be consistent as a husband. Because that consistency, and I'm not good at it. I'm not. But God's a good teacher. And that's what he's going to do for the next few weeks is teach us how our families can become that reflection that God has. He established a home. He established the ground rules. Let's see what God would have our homes to look like. Can I challenge you with this too? Your home, I'm aware, Genesis chapter two, we already read it, consists of mom, dad, and kids, right? Man leaves father and mother and leaves his Leaves, cleaves into his wife, and the two become one. Actually, it says mom and dad, just husband and wife. That's your that's your home, but also as you look at the rest of Scripture, I mean, you're never you're never brought out from under the responsibility of honoring your parents and of having an impact on your grandchildren. And so, while this is our home unit, the real truth is, all of us, all of us, are impacting. Somebody, in our home. And we're going to look at our homes together. So I hope that you'll pray about it, think about it, ask God, Lord, show me. Show me where the weaknesses are, the inconsistencies, so that the home that we build might be a reflection of the God that we serve. And so that the children we're raising up and the grandchildren we're raising up might be confident that the God that we're telling them about is truly what we're telling them he is that's how they're going to get to that point what they see in us now again the grace of god can work beyond us i know that i'm not trying to say that's not true but uh, that's what we're going to be looking at let's pray Father.